good morning. I know the snow is a uh, distraction, but focus here because we want to come together to worship. Thank you for being here. I knew we would be down a little bit because of the snow, but it's still 34 degrees. So just let you know that we should be able to be, we'll be fine for the hour we're here and then we'll be careful as we go home. But thank you for coming and being a part of this service today and welcome. I'm glad that you've come. If you're visiting with us and would like to take the time to fill out our visitor's card, it is attached to the bulletin. And if you would fill that out and place it in the offering plate, we would be delighted to serve you in any way that we can and it would help us know uh, better what's on your mind and uh, what you would uh, like for us to do and what you're interested in in our church congregation. So thank you uh, in advance for filling that out if you would do so. But I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. You know it is uh, winter time and January the 17th through the years I'm sure have, has produced a lot of snow and uh, we're grateful. I told them in the first service that yesterday I was riding my bicycle. Today I would have to put chains on it I guess wouldn't I to, to ride but uh, it was a beautiful day yesterday and we're always glad for every day that the Lord makes and we can rejoice in knowing that he holds us and he is gracious to us. The announcements for the week are on the back of the bulletin. Uh, just want to hit business meeting on Wednesday night at 6.15. We need 40 to have a quorum. So I uh, ask you to come and be a part of that. That is our regularly scheduled quarterly business meeting. So we will hear our regular reports that we hear uh, for the end of the year reports and so forth. So I hope that you will come and be a part of that. And I need to add this one announcement. There will be a youth movie night tonight from 5.30 to 8.30. You're asked to bring your favorite soda and um, $5 for pizza and the popcorn will be provided. If there's any change in that, I'm sure that that would be noted. And I spoke with Brenda a little earlier and she will make a decision about uh, the Sounds of the Spirit and the ladies' ensemble later this afternoon. This is supposed to taper off around 1 o'clock, and so we'll just see how that goes. So she will be in touch if she needs to be, and uh, we'll go from there. But as of now, all of those events are on. Um, also, remember the women's night on January the 29th, which is a Friday night, and they will be showing the movie War Room. And... Um, there is a flyer up about that, and you'll be getting more information about that in the newsletter each week uh, as well. So I hope you will, if you're interested, that you'll come and be a part of that. Paula King comes to make an announcement uh, related to what we're doing on January the 31st following our one worship service. Good morning. What a great time of year for sports fans. College basketball is in the heart of its season with conference play. Go VCU Rams! Woo! Football is in the playoffs with exciting matchups going on. In January, culminating with the Super Bowl in February on February 7th, since I have a son in Seattle, go Seahawks! Woo! These sports teams have worked very hard off-season and in-season getting ready for these all-important games. Owners chose a head coach who embodies their philosophy and pulled together team members with special gifts, talents, and abilities they hope will get their team to that big trophy. Coaches and players have had many meetings in the off-season to, to develop a game plan that would successfully implement their vision and goal of victory. During the season, they meet, practice, and discuss how to improve the plan to reach that all-important goal. We as a church have many ministry teams with members with many gifts, talents, and abilities used for God's ministry in our church, community, and world. On January 31st, after a single worship service at 11 a.m., we will have a time to come together to kick off the new year with our ministry teams. If you're currently serving on a team or have just said yes to, a, to join a team for the first time, you are invited to come to the kickoff time for discussion, planning, and strategizing on your team. God has a vision and goal for us as a church to go and make disciples of all nations. 
the, this meeting is a great time to come together in our ministry teams to implement God's vision. We'll start with a light lunch, and we'll be done by 2. So go NBC! It's good to have Linda back. Linda has been out a couple of weeks sick, and we are grateful that she is feeling much better, and she's back with us, and uh, we're always grateful for the music that she provides. Let's bow for the invocation. Gracious and eternal God, into your presence we come this morning with thanksgiving and joy for the opportunity to come together in your house. We pray, Father, that during this time that you would draw near to us Accept our praise and our adoration. Allow us to feel the presence of the Spirit as we seek to listen for a word from you. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we stand and sing together this morning, I'd ask you to turn to hymn number 569, Make Me a Blessing. And uh, I would like for us to sing all three of the verses and then only sing the chorus one time after the third verse. 569, would you stand?
Good morning. <clears throat> After the last time that I was invited to help Joy and Thomas sing, I figured it would be a cold day before they asked me again. <laughs> so you see? <laughs> but I'm proud to be here to sing with them. And uh, we, they asked us what our name was, and uh, we just said, well, it's just the three of us. So they put trio in the bulletin, but we have come up with a... Uh, uh, counter claim. We're going to call ourselves a blossom and two possums. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good as it gets, y'all. <laughs> <clears throat>
Thank you, Trio. <laughs> we'll have to get used to the new name, Floyd, uh, but I'll work on it. <laughs> Thank you so much. As we sing together, uh, would you turn to hymn number 244, singing together, Spirit of the Living God. We'll only sing this one time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come into your house, we again just praise you and worship because of you we are all, and we give our all to you, and we just ask that you bless our offering and for the benefit of your world. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Before we enter our time of prayer, Chuck Davis wanted me to thank you for the many prayers on his behalf as he's been dealing with an eyesight problem. And he said that so far what they did this past week is holding and he's making some improvements, so we're grateful for that. And also, he appreciates your prayers and thoughts in the loss of his daughter last month. Uh, that was a, uh, a sudden happening and uh, quite devastating when you lose someone, but to lose someone um, suddenly without warning sometimes makes it even harder to, to bear when it's your child. So uh, he wanted me to thank you and uh, continue praying for him. So I wanted to share that with you as well. Let's bow for a closing, not for a closing prayer, for our pastoral prayer. I don't, what's wrong? I don't know. Gracious Lord, as we bow in your presence again, we are thankful that we can sing praises to your name. We are thankful, Father, that as we come before you, you know us and you love us. And you have shown us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, how far you are willing to go for us. And for this we are grateful. We pray, Father, that as we pray on behalf of those who have needs, that you will hear our prayers, respond to those needs of healing and hope and encouragement. Father, we all come here for varying and different reasons related to our lives, and yet we all come here with one purpose in mind. And that is to seek you. We're thankful, Father, that you sought us first. And you have shown us the way. For those, Father, who are dealing with the loss of loved ones, we lift them before you and know that you can bring comfort, encouragement, and strength and wholeness. We pray, Father, that you will bless them. That, Father, somehow light would shine through in the darkness of grief. Father, we're thankful that we have a story to tell and we have those who are willing to tell that story. May we, Father, be as willing as our missionaries to be missionaries here where we live. We're thankful for their work, for their ministry around the world, for those who go into places, Father, and share the good news through their work, through their willingness. We pray, Father, that you will supply their needs. Help us, Father, to always be mindful of the work that is before us and the work that has come before us. For those who were here before us, Father, had a vision to follow you. May we take that vision and make it our vision as we follow you into the places you would have us to go. We pray, Father, for our country, for the troubled world, and for the lack of peace. For we know, Father, that peace is elusive to those who do not know Christ. And so we pray, Father, that we would have a burning desire in our heart to be your witness in the world. Help us, Father, as we open your word to listen for a word from you. For in your word we find hope and purpose, and meaning, and strength for this day and every day beyond. We pray, Father, that as we give ourselves to you, that your will would be done in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces. Bless us, Father, as we continue our time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. On TV they say, but wait, there's more. And this is more from us. This, uh, my good friend, our good friend, Lionel Mills, used to remind everybody that this is one of the most recorded and beloved hymns of all time, so we're doing it in his memory, too. Mm -hmm. 
When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I will fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, fly away, fly away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, fly away, fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, fly away, fly away, I'll fly away, fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, fly away, in the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, fly away, fly away, when the shadows of this life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars have flown, I'll fly away, fly away, fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away, fly away. In the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, fly away, fly away. Just a few more and then I'll fly away, fly away, fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away, fly away, fly away. I'll fly away, fly away. Oh glory, I'll fly away, fly away in the morning when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away, fly away, fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away, fly away. Thank you, a blossom and two possums. That might get more people to come if we put that, you know. Because the reaction would be, what in the world, right? Thank you all. We continue our study of 2 Corinthians today. And we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14 and continuing through verse 5 of chapter 3. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. 
Ministry is transformational, and believers show this reality. Paul used three metaphors to convey the idea of transformational ministry that derives from the power of the Spirit and not by human effort. Thus, ministry is God's doing, not ours, a work for which we can take no credit. We are not the conquering general. We are the captives. We are not the fragrance. Christ is. We are not self-competent to recommend ourselves, only the Spirit within us and working within us as a congregation is capable of doing that. The Christian church is composed of many different kinds of people with different gifts and different ministries, and Paul was very much aware of this as he spoke or wrote to the Corinthians. The manner in which these are combined is not like a melting pot, but like a salad bowl. Within the church, there is no loss of individual identity, but rather the complementing of distinct elements to create a new, special, and united body serving the Lord. We are not far into 2 Corinthians, but already we see how this letter comes at the end of an arduous journey for Paul of restoring broken relationships He deals a great deal with their relationship to Christ and their relationship to Him and their relationship to one another in order to try to come to terms with who they are in terms of Christ. Paul's multiple correspondence to the church at Corinth and the text of Acts help us fill out the details. Paul has lost Ephesus to the silversmiths and did not know whether he had lost Corinth to what we termed last week the super apostles. On top of all this, he apparently also had had some life-threatening near-death experience in Asia, undocumented in Acts, resolved only by miraculous direct intervention by God. Sometime after writing 1 Corinthians, Paul had returned to Corinth to deal with serious problems in the church. This visit did not go well. During this time, he had had an embarrassing public humiliation at the hand of one particular church member. To make matters worse, the Corinthian church had not stood up for Paul at this time, nor made any efforts to discipline the errant church members afterwards. Thus, on multiple counts, this encounter at Corinth after 1 Corinthians became the painful visit in Paul's memory of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, as an apostle and founder of the church, could not ignore this serious situation, not because he personally had been wronged, but because the Corinthian church patently was in the wrong lack of support for Paul's apostolic leadership and lack of discipline for an ethical violation were ominous signs that the Corinthian church was in grave spiritual condition and deep trouble. Making matters worse, Paul was not even sure they recognized their grave spiritual condition. And that should serve as a warning to us. When Paul recognized in the Corinthian church that there was a problem that needed to be dealt with and it was not being dealt with, he realized that this was destroying their relationship with Christ and their relationship with one another. And they didn't even know it. Paul was compelled by ministerial obligation not only to respond, but to respond decisively, commiserate with the serious trouble the Corinthians were in. His response was to compose what he himself styled as a harsh letter that he had sent by way of Titus. With this letter, he apparently had drawn a line in the sand. He demanded their decision to discipline the offender and return to following his leadership. Sometime after Titus left for Corinth with this letter and before Titus could return to Ephesus with the Corinthian response, the silversmith's riot ensued in Ephesus. This riot unexpectedly forced Paul to abandon his Ephesian mission. Paul first moved to Troas. However, after some time not having met up with Titus and Troas, as he seemed to have expected, Paul decided to cross the Aegean and make his way through Macedonia. 
It seems Paul moved slowly and hesitantly in the general direction of Corinth, probably traveling along the route of the second missionary journey that is mostly along the Via Ignatia Highway. Perhaps he was hoping somewhere along the way to meet up with Titus in Macedonia and gain news of the Corinthian response to the line in the sand he had drawn with the harsh letter. Thus, the story told so far in 2 Corinthians has led the reader to believe that the very next verse in 2 Corinthians will explode with the exciting story of Paul's joyful rendezvous with Titus in Macedonia with the good news from Corinth. Not so. Instead, Paul wanders off into a long discussion of two conquests and two covenants. So what are we to make of that? We look at 2 Corinthians verse two, or chapter 2, verse 14, and we see that we are on display. Paul said, God puts us on display. This expression really is, leads us in triumphal procession. Paul's sudden, but thanks be to God, in verse 14, seems an abrupt shift. The suggestion has been made that one could explain the abruptness in chapter 2 through chapter 7 were a separate letter by Paul that somehow got inserted in the history of copying the 2 Corinthians text. But our Greek manuscripts, however, do not show any evidence supporting such a possibility. A more viable suggestion is that abrupt transitions are normal when letters are written over a long period of time, as would be the case with a letter the length of 2 Corinthians. Another possibility is that the section has more cohesion with the topic at hand than first appears. Paul's main point is how transformational belonging to Christ really is. It's a theme all throughout Paul's writing. He tells us more than, on more than one occasion that we are a new creature in Christ, that we are changed by Christ. He tells the Romans in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Living a life in relationship to Christ is transformational. If it does not transform who you are, if it does not make you conform to Christ, then you don't really have it. And Paul was very clear about the relationship breach in Corinth. Paul will establish this point by first comparing two conquests and then by comparing two covenants. The implications will be pertinent to how the Corinthians should have been treating Paul as an apostle sent by God. To begin the first comparison, Paul said he was thankful because God always put us on display. This wording is more paraphrase than translation and winds up hiding a direct allusion to a specific military phenomenon in the ancient world. An alternate translation of this phrase is always leads us in triumphal procession. That rendering is much better, putting us directly in touch with the actual allusion being made to real life in the Roman world. The idea is military conquest. Paul in this way began comparing Two conquests. The first one that he used was the conquest by Rome. A Roman general's triumphant on the field of battle led to a triumphal procession down the streets of Rome to celebrate. The general rode in a chariot at the head of a procession of captives and war booty parading down the streets to a claim of thousands. He had been the conquering hero. He came to, the, to Rome and he was received in this glorious procession and accolades were laid upon him and he was aware of what he had done and the people were made aware of his victory. And then the second conquest that Paul would refer to, is that one by Christ. Paul spoke metaphorically. The translation always leads us in a triumphal procession, better informs the reader that the actual phenomenon alluded to is a Roman conquest. Paul was using a, using a martial metaphor from the story of the Roman Empire to describe Christ's spiritual victory. Believers are Christ's captives to the glory of God. The Corinthians needed to understand that they and Paul were the captives of Christ's bidding, not their own. 
the Corinthians were in Christ's triumphal parade, not their own. And they had responsibility to treat Christ's ministers with proper respect and authority. He was in essence saying that when we give ourselves to Christ, we become captive to Him. And if we are captive to Christ, then we are part of Christ. And we serve Him. Christ said it, didn't He? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He also said, Paul also said in another place, you're bought with a price. Christ redeemed us through His death his burial, and his resurrection. And when we receive Christ as Savior by faith, we have become captive to him. And so Paul makes it very clear that what you have is not of your own, but belongs to Christ. And you are held captive to his grace. See the difference? Captive to grace. Unmerited favor. God did for us in Christ what we couldn't do for ourselves. And because of that, we are obligated through Christ. You see, that helps me to understand why it is we have a responsibility and a duty and a compelling desire to serve the one who gave himself for us. It all begins in that relationship with Christ. Paul is talking about transformation in Christ, but he's also talking about transforming relationships in Christ. And then the second point he makes in verse 14 is, we are the fragrance of Christ. Paul said, spreads the aroma in one translation. Another metaphor used by Paul to play out the significance of Christ's conquest in Corinth is aroma. This allusion is to priests and temples and sacrifice. Aromatic incense was used to sweeten the air around sacrificial temples because of the pugnant smell of flowing blood and burning flesh. Just as burning incense permeated and sweetened the air throughout the temple compound, Paul used this metaphor for the knowledge of him in every place. This aroma is for the knowledge of him. This aroma is through believers. Indeed, we are the fragrance of Christ for both the saved and those perishing, as recorded in verse 15. As in any temple sacrifice, if the offering is not effective, the supplicant is at the mercy of the wrath of the gods, he is saying that we are the aroma of Christ. Now we know about aroma, don't we? There is a lot of money spent on making sure that we smell good, isn't it? And our neighbor next to you is glad, you know. We, We know about that. We know that if we're driving down the road and we see something dead on the road and it's black and white, that we're going to get an aroma, aren't we? And it's going to affect us for a few minutes. We're going to, we're going to have that. We also know that, and we see the commercials and the warnings about this all the time, if you have natural gas in your house and you smell rotten eggs, what do you do? You get out and you call 911 because something is wrong. Smells make a difference, don't they? We know. I always knew in Lynchburg when they were baking bread, there was a bread factory there in Lynchburg, and when you were going to Lynchburg... Uh, to Virginia Baptist Hospital, and you passed by way before you got to the place where they were baking that bread, you smelled the bread, and it conjured up all kinds of hunger feelings. So we know that when we smell something, it has an effect on us, doesn't it? For good or for bad or for indifferent. When we smell something, we know. Paul here made a powerful point that any offering to God not sweetened by the fragrance of Christ is overcome by the stench of death. Because Christ defeated death. Christ in his resurrection is the sweet-smelling savor. An offering that refuses to come through the aroma of Christ cannot be received as pleasant by God. Thus the Corinthians needed to beware lest they found themselves thinking they were making an offering pleasing to God but their religious effort not suffused with the aroma of Christ. In other words, Paul was warning them as he warns us today, don't do it by yourself. 
you will fail. It's not of you. It is of Christ. The implication is that how they are treating Paul was not Christ-like, therefore not mixed with the sweet aroma of Christ. Their offensive offering created a stench polluting the atmosphere of the church and displeasing God. Even more seriously, meditating matters of life and death is a vocation of utmost gravity and the reason why Christian ministry is more than a social club or a convenient friends and family network. We are about more than coming together for socialization. We are here because the matters that we speak of are life and death. That's why Christ died. And to look at it any other way cheapens what he did. It cost him his life to redeem us. And Paul was reminding the Corinthians of that. And he reminds us today that we reflect and become the aroma of Christ. We have all been driving down a highway and noticed bright orange signs that state begin construction and end construction. One thing about these signs is that they tend and you can prove this out if you just travel up and down 64 or anywhere, they remain long after the construction work is over. You'll see evidence. If one of us were to announce that for the time being, God's construction in our life was going to be halted, would our friends say, I didn't know any construction was going on? You see, Paul understood the gravity of what was going on with the Corinthians was more than just a breach of relationship. It was a breach of relationship with Christ. The third thing he says is, you are our letter. Paul said, you yourselves are our letter. Paul, and this is in verse 2 of chapter 3, Paul said, transform lives are the hallmark of ministry and what should recommend any person or ministry. He indicated that true transformation is spiritual, therefore produced by the Spirit, not by human effort. This is a challenge to being an effective Christian and not becoming and, and to becoming a Christian leader to understand where your authority comes from. If we have to take letters of recommendation to vouch for character and motive, Paul was saying he insisted his own converts themselves are his letter. Being public and viable and visible, they were read by everyone. Whatever such a hypothetical recommendation letter would need to recommend Paul or his ministry, Paul was confident his Corinthian converts themselves easily and quickly would validate who he was. You see, Paul understood that building relationships with Christ mean we introduce people to Christ. That's how relationships start, right? How many people have been fixed up by somebody and ended up married to the person and 50 years later you're still with them and wondering why that person fixed you up? You know. We introduce people. Paul introduced people, the Corinthian Christians, to Christ. He introduced them and he said, these are my letters. These are the ones that you look to to see the power of Christ in my life comes through those who have been transformed by my witness. When was the last time you transformed someone by your witness? That's always the question for us. How are we working to make a difference in other people's lives? Paul said, I need no written letter on stone. I have you as my witness. Many of you may have seen, it's been years now, the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland's Opus, if you don't know the story, was about a man who uh, decided that he uh, needed money, so he became a music teacher at a public school, but really he wanted to write a symphony. And so he said, well, I'll do this a little while, and I'll write my symphony, and then, you know, I'll be famous, and I won't have to teach in public schools anymore music to people that really don't want to be there. And so as the movie went on, guess what? He never gave up his job as a music teacher 
and then towards the end of the movie, his job was being cut by budget cuts and so forth, and he was packing up his office, and he went into the auditorium, and there was a surprise there for him. All of the students through the years, many of the students through the years who he had taught were there ready to play the symphony that he had worked on all of his life. And the spokesman for the group said, Mr. Holland, we are your symphony. We are the notes of your life. We have been transformed by you. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? And wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony to people who gave themselves in the mission of Christ? That the testimony that others have were a result of something that you did to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said this letter had been written with the ink of the Spirit of the living God, not on, on stone tablets, as a result of seeing how Christ had fulfilled this prophetic promise of a new law written on the heart by the Spirit. Paul had confidence toward, toward God through Christ in verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Legend had it that a missionary lost at sea was by chance washed up out of the sea on the edge of a remote village. Half dead from starvation, exposure, and seawater, he was found by the people of the village and was nursed back to health. Subsequently, he lived among these people for 20 years. During the whole of that time, he confessed no faith, he uttered no songs, he preached no sermons, he neither read nor recited any scripture, he made no personal faith claim. But when people were sick, he attended them, sitting long into the night. When people were hungry, he gave them food. When people were lonely, he was a source of company, he taught the unlearned, he was a source of enlightenment to those who were more knowledgeable. He always took the side of those who had been wrong. There was not a single human condition with which he did not identify. After 20 years had passed, missionaries came from the sea to the village and began talking to the people about a man called Jesus. And after hearing of Jesus, the natives insisted that he had lived among them for the past 20 years. Come, we will introduce you to the man about whom you have been speaking. The missionaries were led to a hut, and there they found their long-lost fellow missionary, whom they had thought dead. Paul understood that actions speak far louder than words, that relationships are built on trust. Relationships are built on an understanding of what Christ has done through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. At the same time, while one can be confident in ministry because of what Christ has accomplished, Paul insisted that any confidence in Christian ministry is from God. What insightful distinctions for Christians to grasp in order to build an effective ministry. The proper object of confidence and the true source of confidence is not us, but Christ in us. Paul understood that. He said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, not I, but Christ in me is what makes the difference. And he says the same to the Corinthians and he says the same to Mechanicsville Baptist Church today. So when it comes down to it, do I dare say what Paul said? What do you smell like? Because that's really the question, isn't it? What is your relationship to Christ? Because when that relationship is what it ought to be, then all the other relationships will take their proper place and form. And people's lives will be changed by the power of His grace. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for these words from your servant Paul.
He has called us to an understanding of who we are and where our power lies and how it can change us and then change others. Help us, Father, to come to terms with our service to you. Held captive by your grace, transformed by your love, redeemed through your death, and living victorious through the resurrection. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are called to be God's people. Hymn number 390. Indeed, that's what Paul is saying. Allow ourselves to be the people of God. Recognize that it is Christ in us, not us. That builds proper relationships and transforms our life and the lives around us. The invitation is always open to anyone who would receive Christ, whatever your desire, as we stand and sing hymn number 390. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry, it's just me. I, um, thank you for being here today. Mark came up to remind me that it has gotten a little slick on the uh, walkways and so forth out there, just a little bit. So just please be careful. Hold to the rail and what you need to do to make sure that you don't fall on your way to the car. I wanted to make sure that was clear. And thank you for being here. I know that when the weather is what it is, we... Uh, don't always get here, but it's been a good day, and I'm glad that you've been a part of this day. When we do uh, these uh, January Bible studies, I go a little more in-depth to a certain degree, but then I try to pull out, I tell you, so that we can uh, leave with something. So I hope that today you leave with the understanding that our relationships come as our relationship with Christ is strong, and we acknowledge that we are captive to Him. So take that thought. Read ahead in 2 Corinthians if you choose to. We're going to look at this four or five more weeks. I think at least four more weeks we'll be in 2 Corinthians. So I enjoy it, and I hope you get something out of it. It is a blessing to study one book like that and to uh, find purpose and meaning there. Again, I'm glad that you've been here, and as I said earlier, now I can do the closing prayer, can Let's bow for the closing benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart today, we are thankful that we do so with the full assurance that your grace sustains us and that indeed we are held captive to you by the presence and power of your spirit in our lives through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Bless us as we depart. Keep us safe as we journey home, keeping us ever mindful that we are yours. We belong to you. And through this, we pray in the name of Jesus.